So silence your phones if you have a phone. I was, I was informed last week that the noise I heard was a, a Bible program on a phone. And I thought, well, there you go. Paper Bibles never talk back. <laughs> Would you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24? We're going to be in Luke chapter 24, but we're going to find our way to 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 15 as well. But I want to begin by reading here in Luke's gospel. Luke 24, and I'm going to start reading in verse 3. It says, but they found the stone, I'm sorry, that's verse 2, I'll read that as well. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid, bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, so the angel said to the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember, remember, by the way, in the Bible, remember, that word remember, the equivalent, the Hebrew, the, the uh, Greek uh, equivalent to that word is used about 150 times. Remember, remember, remember. He says, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and then same chapter verse 44 then he that's Jesus said to them these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me and he opened up their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures then he said to them thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And then he adds, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Father, we pray as we look at these scriptures and other scriptures, Lord, that you would give us insight and understanding. We pray, Lord, we, I know that uh, you know Easter is a time when we have visitors and we've been praying, we've been preparing in prayer for this. And we pray, Lord, that especially those who have not placed their faith in you, our, our concern really is for them. And we pray, Lord, that your word, as your word is being read or as your word is being spoken, that um, there would a light would go off in their mind, that their heart would warm up to the things that they see in the scripture, and that they would leave this place a changed man or changed woman because they've placed their faith in you. And so, Lord, we pray. We know that the enemy would love to distract. We just pray that there would not be any distractions. And we pray, Lord, that now you would teach us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're not there, if you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a chapter that is dedicated to one theme. The theme is the resurrection of the dead. 
So chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, dedicated to that. Now, we know that when the scripture was written, it wasn't written with verses or chapters. All of that was added later for our benefit. But um, Paul, of course, as if you're familiar with his writings to the Corinthians, we understand that he wrote actually three letters. We have two of the letters. And um, he was addressing errors in the church. There were a lot of errors in the church at, at Corinth. There were a lot of things that they didn't get right. They were confused about a lot of issues. They were concerned about or confused about who to follow, you know. They were into sectarianism, you know. I'm of, I'm of Cephas and, and, and I'm of Paul and, and I'm, of, oh, I'm of Jesus, you know. And so Paul kind of sets them straight on that. They were wrong when it came to um, grace in their church, you know. Well, we've got a man in our fellowship, and, and he's got this relationship with his father's wife, his stepmom. And we're okay with that because we have so much grace here, anything goes. And so Paul had to address that and say, no, that doesn't go. That's got to go. He's got to go, you know. You've got to deal with this thing, deal with it before I get there. And so they did. They got spiritual gifts wrong. You know, they were, they were majoring on certain gifts and minoring on other gifts. And they just needed insight and understanding on that. And so Paul gave them insight and understanding on that. They couldn't get communion right. They would come together and they would have their love feast. And at their love feast, apparently, you know, people were piling up food on their plates, not considering the line behind them of people that haven't eaten yet. And they were drinking and people were being gluttons and drunks. In the services, their love feast. He said, you guys don't have this right. So there were a lot of things they didn't get right. And apparently, there were those in Corinth. Now, this is decades after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and they did not believe in the resurrection. So you wonder, how is that possible? How can you, excuse me for one moment. I hope I drank out of that. You always get nervous when you open a bottle and there's something missing. If I croak, I was assassinated. Anyway. <laughs> but as you, as you look at Paul's argument, as he just kind of lays out his argument, in fact, let me give you just a sampling of this. You can kind of follow along. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12, it says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? I want you to note, as we go through this, that there are ifs, I-F, and there are thens, T-H-E-N. So if, then. If this, is, if this isn't a reality, then this isn't a reality. Again, verse 13, look what it says. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Look at verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and so is your faith is empty. And then verse 16, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. He keeps driving that point home. Listen, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't have Jesus resurrected, but no resurrection following that. And then verses 17 and 18, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
So memorial services, you know, we call them, for those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, we call them many times memorial service or a celebration of life. We come together, we remember, and we're remembering with joy in our heart that we sorrow because we miss the ones who have, you know, died, who have gone on to be with the Lord. But we know that. We have the faith that they've gone on to be with the Lord. But Paul says, listen, if there's no resurrection, those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, they've perished. They're gone. And then verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we of all men are the most pitiful. And that's what it comes down to. The resurrection is, you know, the deal breaker. No resurrection, no gospel. No resurrection, no salvation. No resurrection, no hope. You, you can't, and there are people who approach the scripture and say, yeah, 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 I believe this, I believe that. Jesus was a great master, Jesus was this. That's a lie. Don't listen to people like that. They're deceivers, they're heretics. Every church has heretics. You don't want to be one of them. Um, he, you know, Jesus came, he lived, he was put to death. I mean, he didn't die of cancer or something like that. He, he was put to death. He was in the grave for three days. On the third day, he rose again, just as Jesus said, and then he was resurrected. After he was resurrected, he was seen by many people. In fact, Paul tells us that he was seen by over 500 people at one time. And at the writing of this letter, this first epistle, Paul says, and many of them are still alive. They're still with us. So they could testify to the fact that they saw the resurrected Jesus. And, and so Paul goes through the whole thing. He says, listen, we, we know that he was killed. We know how he was killed. You know, he didn't go into a coma and wake up, you know, in the coolness of the, remember the Passover plot? Many of you probably don't remember that. It was a little paperback book. People are crazy. I got to tell you, people are absolutely crazy. We have the canon of scripture, and you should research how we got our canon of scripture, the 66 books of the Bible that we have. You should research that. Because there are some people that build whole doctrines around books or teachers, and it's so faulty. In 1969, the Passover plot, it was a little paperback book, and it came up with all these theories. It was kind of like the Da Vinci Code, you know, of our day. And uh, a lot of people bought into that lie. But Paul is saying, listen, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. In essence, he's saying, if there is no resurrection, then the apostles are liars. Because they testify to the fact that he's risen. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus remains dead and unable to save. He was just a man. The resurrection is proof that he is who he claimed to be. If there is no resurrection of the dead... And this is hard for me to say as a follower of Jesus, but I need to say it to make the point. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus is a liar because he said that he would be resurrected. See, there's no option here. It's not like he says, you know, I might be resurrected. If I'm not resurrected, still believe in me. I'm a good guy, you know, type of thing. No. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then the dead in Christ are gone forever. And as Paul stated, if there is no resurrection of the dead, the whole Christian life is a pitiful joke. But I'll tell you what the pitiful joke is. The pitiful joke is that people stake their hope, their future, their eternity upon the things of this world. That's a pitiful joke. I'll get there one way or another. I'm a good person, you know. I'm going to go to, you know, whatever. And they just have these vain imaginations. They've never had one that's come back to that place that they claim to 
want to go to one day. We have Jesus. He came back from that place. He was there. He was, you know, dead. And then he came back and he spoke to people. And we have a, you know, insider when it comes to death and life and resurrection. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, if you drop back to verse 1 of chapter 15, Look what he wrote. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved. And then there's that if again. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received from Christ. Or received that Christ died for our sins. Look at this, according to the scriptures. This is so important, guys. Luke did it. Paul's doing it. You say, doing what? According to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. See, guys, our faith is not based upon, you know, it's not in a vacuum. It's based upon what was written. It's based upon what was spoken in times past. From Genesis, we see Christ. From Genesis, we see the crucifixion. From Genesis, we see the resurrection. From Genesis and, and the five books of the law, and you go into the, the Psalms, you know, Jesus uh, said that. It's pointed out in Luke's gospel that even what was spoken in the Psalms, the Psalms are prophetic in nature. We look at them and we say, oh, I love these Psalms. Yeah, but they're prophetic. You should study the Psalms. Psalm 2, by the way, is going to be fulfilled really, really soon here. Psalm 2. But you look at the Psalms. Psalm 22 was fulfilled when Jesus hung upon the cross. Good Friday. It was fulfilled. And so he, he says, according to the scriptures. These are things that are according to the scriptures. He says, and that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he goes on and says, and he was seen by Cephas, and so on and so forth. You know, the gospel, it's good news. But there is no good news without the resurrection. Everything hinges upon the resurrection. No resurrection, no gospel. No resurrection, no salvation. No resurrection, Jesus is meaningless, guys. I mean, if you're into following men, mere men, who, you know, tickle your fancy by the things that they say, so be it. To me, it's a waste of time. I spent too much time doing that before I was born again, before I was saved. I, I don't listen to men any longer. I want to listen to what the Lord has to say in his word. Paul wrote in verse 2, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I wish it wasn't true, but it's true. There are those who make a profession of faith, and their faith, their, their experience, if you will, it's temporary, it's fleeting, it's not long-lasting, they've believed in vain, you know... People many times will say things, yeah, I tried that, it didn't work for me, almost like it's like a workout program or something like that. I mean, we're talking about God incarnate, God in flesh, coming and, and teaching and dying and, and raising from the dead and, you know, what that 
means salvation for those who place their faith in him. I think that most gathered here even today on an Easter Sunday, most would probably say, uh, I, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And I am a follower of Jesus. And, and statements like that, they kind of roll off of our tongue very, very easily. And this is why we need the scriptures, because the scriptures always bring things back to focus. They balance things out. This is what I mean. We can say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, we can say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that he rose on the third day. I believe the gospel, you know, uh, Paul spoke the gospel here in the first part of chapter 15. I believe these things, so therefore I'm saved. But what does it look like to really be a follower of Jesus? See, that's what it really comes down to, guys. Listen, you know, if you've been here for any amount of time, you can say, oh, you're so stern, you're so strong. Listen, I don't, I don't want to fancy, I don't want to encourage anyone into hell. There's plenty of pastors that will do that. I'm not one of them. Because I take seriously the calling that God has given me and that one day I'll stand before the Lord and he won't say, how many people did you make happy? He'll say, did you share the gospel? We went out, Tracy and I went out with our oldest son. We went out for breakfast on Monday. We went over to Anacortes and we saw uh, a pastor from our community. We've known him for years. He's kind of one of the old timers. There's not many of us left, you know. But And so I... Uh, I was chatting with him. I didn't even recognize him. Uh, we were standing side by side waiting to get in line, you know, old men waiting in line to get into the bathroom. And, um, and we're chatting, and I didn't recognize him. We go back to the ta our tables, and then my son said, uh, Dad, you know who that is? And I said, I thought that was him. I said, he looks so old. And he said, he probably thinks the same thing about you, Dad. <laughs> anyway. When they got up to leave, I said, I'm so sorry, I didn't recognize you. He said, I don't recognize you, who are you? And, of course, sometimes we recognize people by name more than by sight. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, uh, still at Calvary? He goes, boy, you've been there a long time. I said, yeah, no one else will have us, you know. <laughs> um, but he asked a question, and he said, are the people happy? And I laughed, and I said, I never ask. Why would I ask if people are happy? That's not my calling to make people happy. He says, I'm retiring. This is a, you know, my, my Sunday. Last Sunday is at the end of this month. And, and, and maybe he's burnt out because people aren't happy. I don't care if you're happy. I want, I, want you to be, I want you to be holy. I want you to be saved. I want you to place your faith in Christ. And, and that's why we need to look at these things, you know. It's by faith alone and the finished work of Christ alone. That's, that's the gospel. That's what salvation is. But listen, salvation is going to look a certain way. It's, it's going to affect your life in, in, a, in a way. In fact, Paul uh, was still there in 1 Corinthians Look at verse 9, chapter 15, verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, he says, who am not worthy to be called an apostle. And this is why, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul never got over that. 
He never got over the fact that he persecuted the church of God. But look at verse 15. I love this. He didn't wallow in his misery. He didn't say, oh, woe is me. I'm such a wretched man. I'm going to go hide in a cave somewhere. No, he didn't do that. Look at what it says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me, look at this, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. You say, well, was he boasting? I don't think he was boasting. He was simply declaring something. He was declaring, first of all, in essence, I don't deserve salvation. I persecuted the church of God. But then again, no one deserves salvation. If, if, if you pray, don't ever pray, Lord, give me what I deserve. Don't ever pray a prayer like that. You don't want to pray that, you know. Um, you want to pray, mercy, Lord, mercy, you know. Your mercies are new every morning, Lord. Deal with me according to your mercy, not according to what I deserve. But he also states, in essence, that, you know, I'm saved by, by, by faith in Christ. It's his grace. It's not, it's not merited. I cannot merit his salvation in any way. But now as a saved person... My salvation, this new life that I've received from Christ Jesus, this salvation that I've received from the Lord, it's not just an add-on to my life. And here lies the problem with many modern-day Christians, especially in our country, in the West, because it is so easy to be a Christian. It is so easy to be a Christian. I mean, we think we're being persecuted when someone says something, you know, about, you know, just something minor. Oh, I'm being persecuted for the cause of Christ. And then you want to kind of go outside your own bubble and see how people are really being persecuted for the cause of Christ. And I'll tell you, it it stops your heart when you consider what people are going through. But it's easy to be a Christian, or at least to believe that you're a Christian. And I wonder if we're not setting ourselves up for a fall, a huge fall. People will say, I believe, I believe, I believe. You know, in 1 John, we're going through 1 John on Wednesday nights. And 1 John uh, is John's first epistle. That's why it's called 1 John. And um, in, in the opening of his epistle, he says three times, John does in, his, in that epistle, he says, if we say, if we say, if we say. Chapter 1. And then chapter 2, he says three times. He who says, he who says. He who says. I hope I'm whetting your appetite to look at the text, not now, but later, so that you'll see what I'm, where I'm going. He says, if we say, he says, he who says, but then he also wrote, but if we walk, and he wrote, if we confess, and he wrote, but whoever keeps his word. The point is, words are cheap if they're not backed up by action. And, and, and Paul, as he's writing, you know, to them about resurrection and the importance of resurrection and how it doesn't affect your life just when you're dead. You know, well, I guess I have resurrection to look forward to. It affects your life now while you're living, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting to note that, that in the four gospel accounts alone, the word if is found 574 times, and whenever the word if is used by Jesus, that Jesus never 
never places the if on God's side. It's always on man's side. Um, let me give you just a sampling. John 13, 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So he says, listen, um, you could yakety yak. You could say it. But here's the proof. Do you have love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because that's what people will notice. They're not going to notice, you know, they're not going to pay attention to this if there's not this, this love between you. Another thing Jesus said, John 15, 14, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. Could you imagine anyone else saying that? You wouldn't want to be their friend. You know, I want to be your friend, but you got to do everything I do. That's my truck. Now give me the truck. I command you, you know. You go, this isn't a good friendship. But when we're talking about the Lord, of course, it's a different level altogether. Here's one more, just one more. There's so many of them. John 8, 31. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. We have that painted on the wall down in the cafe. I love that verse. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. See, those conditions. You say, what's your point, Dan? My point is this. You're here. It's Easter Sunday. We're so glad you're here. We are so happy that you're here. But the fact of the matter is, is that many of you will not return to a church probably until next Christmas or Easter. And things are getting serious. And if you haven't been paying attention to what's happening in our world, it's time to wake up. Things have radically changed in the past two years. And things are going the direction. Listen, listen. We've seen it concerning the resurrection. You know, as the scriptures say, as the scriptures say, as the scriptures, as the scriptures declare. Things are going precisely as the scriptures said that they would go. Paul wrote in verse 3, same chapter, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He wants his readers to understand it was the sinless Son of God who took our punishment upon himself, our sins, the punishment for our sins upon himself. Now, I don't know if you have uh, siblings, but sometimes siblings, you know, uh, you ever take one for the for the for the bro <laughs> for the brother for the sister? Too many, not too many siblings would say, you know, <laughs> I'll take this one for you, you know, <laughs> you know. But but Jesus, he is the sinless one. You you, you think of well, the scripture says Second Corinthians chapter five verse twenty one. He, Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, for what reason? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's mind-blowing, guys, when you consider this. It's like, what, Lord, what do you get out of it? You suffered, and you died, and you were beaten, and you were scourged, and they mocked you, and they slapped you, and they punched you, and they blindfolded you. And they beat a crown of thorns upon your head. And they scourged you over and over and over. What did you get out of this, Lord? And then they made you carry the cross until another had to carry it, Simon. And they carried the cross to Golgotha, to the place, to the very place 
What place? The place where Abraham took Isaac to offer his son, his only son, his only begotten son, his loved son. What did Isaac do? He carried the wood up to the place, Mount Moriah, the place. And he was crucified. And they took those spikes and they drove them into his, his wrist and, or his hands and, and, and his feet. And you say, Lord, what, what, do you, what do you get from this? What do you get from this? And yet the prophet Isaiah tells us what he gets from this. That he'd see the fruit of his labors. That he would see the offspring. As Jesus hung upon the cross, you know, we know that the other men that were on the crosses, one to his right and one to his left, they, uh, they wanted to speed up the process. You know, when you are concerned about religion, then you want to make sure that all your religious practices and traditions don't get, you know, messed up. And so they needed to hurry things up. And so they took a hammer, sledgehammer of some sort, and they broke the knees of the man on his left and on his right. Why would they do that? Well, because it, as you're hanging, you have to go. And if you can't lift your body up any longer, your, your, your chest cavity, you're in constriction you know you're not getting the air and in essence they're suffocating to death but when they came to Jesus remember he he had already gone he said it is finished what was finished well the reason I came it is finished it is finished the redemption for the sins of the world it is finished there's nothing we could add to it All we could do is receive it, and we should receive it. And if you haven't received it, you need to receive it because Jesus is coming back. You could scoff at it, but if you scoff at it, you need to understand that you're fulfilling Bible prophecy because the Bible says the scoffers will come in the last days. We're in the last days, so if you want to scoff, you're fulfilling Bible prophecy. But I suggest that you don't scoff. I suggest that you humble yourself and you bend the knee now because one day you will bend the knee. It won't count later because that would just be an acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. But I'll tell you, now, today is the day of salvation. That Jesus came, and he died, the sinless one, for the sinner. And Jesus took the wrath that we deserve upon himself. This is why, guys, again, all of this ties into eschatology, the study of last days. And this is why a lot of people are confused about eschatology, because they don't understand resurrection. They don't understand redemption. They don't understand the cross. So they don't understand the last days, teachings, eschatology we're not subject to the wrath of god the church why not i just said it because the wrath of god was poured out on christ the wrath that we deserve was poured out on christ there's so many people in churches now they scoff at those who believe in a pre-trib rapture as i do i'm scoffed at a lot anymore (laughs) it's really unpopular to be a christian even in the west you know but i'm surely not persecuted like my brothers and sisters are but so many people want to go through the tribulation and, you know, the wrath of God and all of this. We're going to be a warrior for Christ. Man, I don't want to be a warrior for Christ. Jesus says, pray that you might escape. That's me. I want to pray that I might escape the things that are coming upon the world. Why would I want to be here for it? And I don't believe that I will be here for it. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that this is not a small thing, that Jesus, the sinless one, came and he died upon the cross for our sins. 
It says, for our sins, for our sins, for our sins. You could personalize it and say, for my sins, for my sins, for my sins. But you cannot personalize it if you have not received Christ. Though his death upon the cross, his blood that was shed, is sufficient for every man, woman, and child who's ever been born or ever will be born, it's only a benefit to those who have placed their faith in Christ. See, not all roads lead to God. In one sense, all roads do lead to God in judgment, but not to salvation, not in salvation. Today is the day. Today is the day that you need to bow the knee and confess with the tongue. It's a declaration of who's responsible for Jesus' suffering, our sins. Um, You know, you read the gospel accounts. I hope you're students of the scripture. You don't have to be a... You know, I mean, like a professor or anything. Just if you have the Spirit of God and you have the Word of God and you're opening it up and you're reading it and you're, you're taking notes or writing in your Bible or however you do it, but you're benefiting from the Word of God. As you read through the Gospel accounts, it's apparent that the Jewish religious leaders hated Jesus. We see this early on in the Gospels. They wanted to put him to death. You think of that. These are religious leaders. How can we get rid of him? I don't want to just get rid of him. We want to kill him. We want him gone. They have no idea that they are fulfilling Bible prophecy. They're fools. But they're playing right into the grand plan. So they're not guilty? No, 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 they're guilty. They're guilty. It's easy to see that the the religious Jews, they were pleading, they were demanding, they were asking, you know, for the death of Christ. Put put him to death, put him to death. They tried to put him to death on a number of occasions. Let's stone him. Well, that's not going to work. Why not? Because Daniel said he would be cut off, crucified. When did he say that? 700 years before Christ came upon the earth in his incarnation. It's easy to look at the Jewish religious leaders and say they're guilty. They're responsible for the death of Christ. It's easy to look at the Romans. You know, the Romans, if you've been in the military and you've ever been deployed someplace in a foreign land, you know, where you're among the people and uh, you don't want to be there. You want to be home. You want to be with your wife and kids. And there you are. And I'll tell you, it would probably show the true character of a person when you're not home. What kind of person are you? What kind of things do you get involved in? What kind of things are you getting caught up in? Many of these Romans, you know, they didn't want to be there. They were in a land they didn't want to be. They didn't care about the land. They didn't care about the people. Could you imagine having the job, the responsibility to crucify people? I almost wonder if, if they asked, you know, raise of hands, any of you guys want to crucify people? Yeah, yeah, me. I want to do it. I get my jollies out of that. I mean, you know, there's certain things that most people would say, I could never do something like that. I could never treat another human being the way we treat him because it's not, it's not going before the ex- executioner. It's not blindfolding the victim and chopping off his head. It's the scourging and the mocking and the spitting and the pulling of the beard and the slapping and the beating and the kicking. and the It's all of that that leads up to the cross and then the piercing. All of that. You've got to be a certain kind of person. I guess my point is, is that you can look at the cruel-hearted Romans, 
how they beat Jesus and how they belittled Jesus and how they crucified Jesus. And you could say, their guilt is obvious. But I'll tell you, listen to me. When you read the New Testament, when you read the Old Testament, when you read the scriptures, there's a message that the Lord wants us to have and that he wants us to get this. He wants us to understand this, that we're, we're accountable. We're responsible. We might not have been there. We might, not have, we, we might have even turned away. We might have even ran from Calvary, you know, from Golgotha, if, if we were there watching these things happen. But it's our sins that send him to the cross. I want you to think about this, guys, because so often people, they think in these little, like, little boxes, you know. You know just enough about Jesus to get into trouble. But you don't really look at Jesus as he's presented in the scriptures. We see Jesus. He begins his public ministry. You know, there's this gap of time. And by the way, don't read people. They don't know what they're talking about. They're heretics. You're a fool to get caught up in these people that are going to tell you what Jesus was doing from the age of 12 when he was last seen in the temple to what he was doing when he was 30 years old and he started this public ministry. Don't buy into it. Don't be that kind of fool. But these silent years, and then Jesus begins his public ministry. But he has a forerunner. He has John the Baptist. John the Baptist is out there. He looks like Elijah, the prophet. He's fulfilling, in one sense, the mission of Elijah, because Elijah will come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, according to Malachi. And Elijah will come before the second coming. But Jesus makes it clear. He says, John the Baptist is the greatest prophet who ever lived. Really? Greater than Elijah? Greater than Isaiah? Yes, he's the greatest prophet who ever lived. What was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? King? Kingdom. At hand. He's here. And he was preparing people for the coming of Jesus. And so there was that day Jesus comes upon the scene. John, he's been preaching, repent, repent. I baptize you with water, but he who comes after me will baptize you with, the, with fire and with the Holy Spirit. I'm not worthy to unloose the, 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 the ties of his sandal. He's greater than I. He must increase. I must decrease. And then Jesus comes upon the scene And he says, there's your Messiah. Nope. There's a great master. Nope. There's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Nope. There's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we, as modern day Christians, we go, I like that title, lamb of God. I have a little picture on my wall. This is Jesus with a little lamb, and I just like that. And we miss it altogether. And I'm telling you, for every Jewish person, man, woman, and child that were there at the Jordan, gathered there to repent of their sins and to be baptized in the Jordan water. When they heard those words, there's one thing that came to mind, death. And they probably were so confused, not probably, they were so confused. They look and they see a man and they say, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The point is, is that John was declaring it at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It's not a mistake. This is why he's come. He's come to die. And to be resurrected. 
and to ascend. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. If you're a follower of Christ, you have Jesus interceding for you. That means he prays for us. If you're not a believer, you don't have that benefit. You say, well, I don't like this. Man, you're presenting kind of like a, you know, haves and have-nots. Here's the thing, guys. Everyone could be a have. No one's excluded. The only people that are excluded are people who say, what a joke. And here's the sad fact of the matter. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. You could scoff at it all you want. Jesus is coming. I'm surprised we're still here, (laughs) to be honest. Jesus is coming. And there's going to be this awakening. There's going to be this awareness. There's going to be a morning or an evening or the middle of the day, wherever you're at on planet Earth, and you're going to realize things are going just as he said, just as the scripture said, not as any man has said. And why did I scoff when I had opportunity to believe? If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, surrender your life to Christ. If you've placed your faith in Christ, it's high time to awake out of your slumber and to live for Christ. Guys, you have to live for Christ. You have to live for Christ. Jesus is not an add-on. If he's an add-on, he's not your savior. He's either your life or he's not. You say, that's your opinion. That's my opinion. But check it out. Prove me wrong. Prove others that say that. I'm not the only person that says this. You have people in your life that are saying the same thing. Prove them wrong. But you cannot prove them wrong by some fool on YouTube. Prove them wrong by the scriptures. Prove them wrong by the scriptures. Prove me wrong by the scriptures. Look at the scriptures and show me that everyone is saved and all good people and puppy dogs go to heaven. And we just go on living our lives any way we choose. And there is no day of reckoning. And there is, you know, because I'm telling you, that is a lie from the devil. And this is why people are ill-equipped. And this is why people in our generation are so numb to the message of the gospel. And they reject it because they say, this cannot be true. It's too narrow. It's too narrow. And yet Jesus himself said, narrow is the road. Narrow is the gate. See, again, if we just simply looked at the scriptures, you know what happens when you read the scriptures? It's like confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. You remember, you remember, you remember. I read this here. I, read, I see this here. And you see this, this wonderful, you got to live for him. Paul wrote, if then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, which Christ, where, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. We need to take seriously, you guys come on up, uh, take seriously the ifs of the Bible. And, and now, if you haven't felt a little left out, you don't have to feel left out. But if you haven't, i got to throw this one in. If you're a believer, if you placed your faith in Christ, if you're living for Christ, look up. Your redemption draws near. Same chapter, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. Now this, I say, brethren, by that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Paul says, oh, I don't believe that. Listen, I'm just reading scripture. (laughs) Believe what you want. 
I tell you, a mystery, you should be familiar, Bible students, with mystery in the New Testament. There's quite a few of them, aren't there? There are things that were known in the Old Testament that are now revealed in Christ Jesus. The mystery has been revealed in Christ Jesus. I feel like a <laughs> a rabbit out of my head. But, but it's, been, it's been revealed. It says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the dead in Christ will sound, and the, uh, I'm sorry, for the last trump, for the trump will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise, will be raised incorruptible. Guys, listen, 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 listen. Jesus said, the, or Paul said the exact same thing in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Same order of events. What happens first? First, resurrection. Of what? The dead. Those who have placed their faith in Christ. That's called the first resurrection. First resurrection includes those who have placed their faith in Christ. Second resurrection, you don't have anything to do with that. Check it out. Book of Revelation. Second revelation is on to death. Eternal separation from God. He says that there will be the resurrection of the dead first. And we will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. And then it goes on from there. So I, I, uh, I hope that, you know, you're here for a reason. And you'll say, yeah, my relatives brought me, you know. There might be a greater reason than that. Stand with me, please. There might be a greater reason than that. I believe that there is. The Lord says that he doesn't want any to perish but all to come to repentance. The cynic, the critic would say, then why didn't he just save everyone? Because he says, I've made a way. <laughs> I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you believe in me, if you receive me as your Lord and Savior, I will come in. And there's this oneness that happens. He says, I will give you my spirit. He gives us his Holy Spirit so that we have the power to live the Christian life. And Jesus is coming. I, I keep wanting to drive that home. He's coming. And I know, I know, I know. And this is what frightens me more than anything is that there will be people who will be left. And they will say, what happened? What has happened? What has gone on? And, and you'll say, I knew I didn't believe. I heard the gospel. I didn't think it was important. I said I believed in Jesus, but he was just an add-on. He really doesn't you know, have an impact upon my life. It hasn't changed the way I live or think or my politics or anything else. I'm still the same person I always was, but I, but I love Jesus. And you realize that you believed in vain. Father, we pray that each one of us in this room or live stream or downstairs in the cafe watching, Lord, we pray that every one of us have placed our faith in you genuinely. Lord, I think of the brother we prayed with at the last service, Lord, he came up and he said, I wandered in here a few months ago. I don't know how I ended up here. I kept coming back and I met Jesus in this place. And uh, Lord, as you know, we're able to pray with him as he's leaving the area now. But Lord, thank you for his salvation. We pray for those who need to receive you and be saved. We pray that you do that even now, Lord. Change hearts, hard hearts, soften hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.